Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started uh, here with our Sunday school. It's good to see you guys this morning. We're uh, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Before we, we begin the study, let's go ahead and open with a, a word of prayer. Father God, we, we come to you this morning and we just pray for this time of study that we have. Thank you for each person here. Uh, Father, help us to uh, be enlightened into, into your word. Uh, may the Holy Spirit that indwells us uh, just give us uh, instincts and uh, discernment as we read this, um, understanding that it, this is a treasure that you've given to us. And so, Father, we pray for this study. We pray for the service to follow. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Whitey, how are you feeling? Oh, Whitey's mm-hmm. not been feeling well, so a matter of fact, Derek and uh, Wendy won't be with us. I spoke with Derek this morning. Wendy's not feeling well, so sh- they won't be with us this morning. So hopefully, hopefully she'll be feeling better soon. So okay, Romans chapter one. Um, we we've gone over the first uh, <coughs> six verses, and uh, I told you last week that. Uh, I wanted to go over this this phrase as it refers to uh, saints in verse seven, uh, because you know I, I I would imagine everybody here understands that you don't get declared to be a saint by the Church of Rome. I'm sure we all understand that, but there's also still some misgivings as to what is what is a saint and when did it originate and, and what does it have to do with. And so uh, there are the, there are those that. You know, are confused about it and think that um, saints are only for you know this time period. Even those that don't rightly divide, they think it's only Christians. Even if they think Christianity start started with the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, um, one of the things that causes confusion is is they want to apply the saints there with the, with us as the body of Christ and saints. And because they see that word saint, they assume that it's the same group of people. And, and just like when you see the word church or the word gospel, don't apply your assumptions or tradition as to what the scriptures are talking about. And so we see the, we'll see the word church in reference to whether it's us, the body of Christ, whether it's the church that began right at Pentecost, whether it's the church that was in the wilderness with, the, with uh, Moses as they crossed the Red Sea and they, they, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And we see that as a church. We've seen uh, in Acts where a a mob of people who are ready to kill the apostles are are called a church. And so you can't, again, people people take their preconceived ideas and apply them to the scriptures. And we don't want to do that. We want to let the scriptures be the ones to speak to us. And this is why we have to be discerning and we have to take the time to study because trust me, um, you're going to get so much more out of the Bible if you don't just read the Bible, but if you actually study it and, and take your time and and, uh, and really see what it is that what it is that it has to offer to you. I know, as I've said before to you, there isn't a time that I prepare a, a study, a teaching, uh, whether it's for here or whether it's for a conference or uh, whenever I was at the prison ministry or whatever. There isn't a time that I prepare a message or a teaching that I get involved in study. That, I, that I'm not wowed by something. And, and I'm telling you that that's the difference between 
you know, a quick little reading of the Bible and doing an, an actual study. And again, one of the things we see with this word saint, saint has to do with being set aside. And so you see this concept that has to do with um, sanctified. It has to do with holy. It has to do with all of these types of things. And so saints aren't just the saints of the body of Christ. There are saints that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And, and praise God, we can all say hallelujah that we don't have to worry about being here during, during the tribulation period. But yet there are going to be saints during the tribulation period because saints are basically God's, um, something that is set aside for God's purpose. And so we need to keep that, apart, keep that in mind. Saints literally is the idea of set apart as sacred to God. And it's not just um, us. There are saints in the past and the future, like we just talked about. Turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 16. Hey, yes, sir. Going there. So then, being a saint, it, it's, not, it's not a work. It's not directing us something that we should go out and, and do. It's, it's something that occurs at the, the time of salvation in terms of sanctification so mm-hmm. um, you know it's I've heard people try and use saint and to say oh well that's a goal you have to, to work towards to, right. to become a saint but yeah we're all saints we are all saints and and you don't become a saint by your doing um, the only thing that you you take part in when it comes to you being a saint today is by putting your faith in the finished work of Christ. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, and that makes you a saint. That makes you set apart for God's purpose. There were those who were set apart for God's purpose before the body of Christ. There will be those after the body of Christ. And as we're going to see, there are, there are saints that aren't even humans, as we're going to look at. Okay, So keep that in mind. So good point, Tim, because you don't want to you don't want to fall in the trap of thinking that it's something that you have to achieve or anything like that, because that's not how sainthood works. Kevin? In the first uh, seven verses, you, you notice that you were called to call to call. You know, it's the act of God calling on Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we have to realize, and that's why I, I kind of differ with the traditional teaching of, of sanctified. Uh, we see in Corinthians that it's, Sanctified is something that has been done. You are sanctified. You are set apart for God's purpose. Now, you need to treat yourself on a daily basis and sanctify yourself daily. But that does, just because you don't, just because you don't sanctify yourself in a daily walk, it no, more, it no less makes you sanctified as it makes you not a saint. So you are a saint and you are sanctified and set apart by God. Um, but again... Whenever we, when we consider our, our daily walk, we need to sanctify and set, our, set ourselves apart from the world. And so, yes, we are called unto good works. We are called um, to, to sanctify ourselves in our daily lives. So, but turn here with me to Psalm chapter 16. Look at verse 3. Notice what it says. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. And so I, I, again, want to point out to you that saints aren't just during the so-called Christian time. 
There, there are saints in the past, and there are going to be saints in the future. And you may think, well, that seems, you know, pretty expected. Um, but there are many out there that, that, you, that think that the church began either in Jesus' earthly ministry because you hear saints talked about then. Well, it was talked about well before Jesus was born in the manger. Saints were. And it's talked about well after the body of Christ is raptured. You have saints. Look at chapter 30 of, of Psalms. Chapter 30, verse 4. Bless you. Chapter 30, verse 4. Sing unto the Lord, O you saints, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. And so here we have this psalm, a psalm that's, that's declared. It's a song, and it's a proclamation of all the saints sing. You know, It wasn't as though this was a prophecy in the sense that nobody could do that until all of a sudden the body of Christ came. And so, again, notice that saints were, were around back then. Look at Matthew. Matthew, chapter 27. So there's people that really think that there weren't saints before us. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. I've had those conversations. Oh. People who think that, that um, one of the reasons why they think that we're part of the tribulation period is because it uses the word saints as it relates to um, the tribulation period. And so, yeah, but, but again, that comes into the circle of people who, who've begun, either begun to learn how to rightly divide or who already do rightly divide is whenever you see it. But again, people have, there are those who have been trained and, and taught, you know, well, see, the church was at Pentecost. It uses the word church. There was 3,000 added daily to the church. Well, just because you got the word there. And so... Um, you got to be careful. You don't want to be tossed to and fro with any uh, wind of doctrine. And so you've got to make sure that you study uh, and so that you can understand. And so just because you got the word saint there, don't, th- don't think that uh, that's, that's a new concept, that that just came about, uh, uh, you know, either after Acts 9 or Acts chapter 2 or even Matthew 1. Look at Matthew 27. Look at verse... Uh, 52, this is talking about um, after Jesus was put to death and after he uh, resurrected, there was an event that took place where others were resurrected, remember? All the graves were opened. And who does it says that came out of the graves? Bodies of the saints. And so, again, notice that you have saints back then before Acts chapter 2, um, so those who want to suggest that, you know, somehow that saints is indicative of the church starting in Acts chapter 2, that just, it's not the case. It won't work. Um, you can even, if you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, and and um, knowing that uh, saints have been around. Look at Deuteronomy chapter uh, 33. So, Pastor, can I ask you a question about sure. 27? Yep. was literal that the bodies of the, the saints who had fallen asleep came out of the grave and were seen and uh, this was an actual event that, that occurred in the past? This was an actual event that took place in the past where um, whenever Jesus resurrected you had, um, you had other people 
um, who were in the grave, they resurrected and they walked around in the streets and, and people would have been amazed and they would have known what in the world is going on. And though there were mighty signs that took place around the time of Jesus' resurrection. Remember, he goes on to the cross around 9 a.m. Um, and around noon until he dies at 3. What happens to the skies? It turns dark. And so because of the, the thunder and, and the different things, we know um, from later passages that the, the veil of the, uh, was torn in the temple. And as a result of all the things that were going on, the centurion that was there at Jesus' death realized who Jesus really was. And so you had all of these miraculous things taking place, letting, letting the world know that um, you just killed God. So, I mean, that is not publicized at all. I mean, I'd never, maybe I'd heard it and forgotten it, but I had never heard, you know, about people at the same time as, Jesus' uh, death, that, that they came up from the grave, it's pretty easy to, to discount and try and, and just minimize Jesus away just by saying one person. But when you have multiple people, therefore multiple reports of it uh, all occurring you know, at the same time, but with different people and different people reporting that, that's, you know, again, that's pretty strong, strong evidence. Sure, and, and keep in mind, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would have been obviously written while they were alive, and so the contemporaries, if it didn't happen, it could have easily have been disputed, um, and there was no way to dispute it because these things happened. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's why we have we have these little little nuggets of information in there. Um, that uh, that are in there to give us that assurance. So, Deuter- Deuteronomy chapter thirty-three. Look at uh, verse two with me. Well, that means we start in verse one, right, Mike? So, and this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, "The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth." from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of his saints. From his right hand went a fiery law from the... Who do you suppose those saints are? Angels. Angels. So even the angels are referred to as saints. And so keep in mind, what do we do? We have to understand what is saint. A saint is is identifying um, something that is set apart as sacred to God. This is why even the instruments... They're not referred to as, as saints, the instruments for the temple. They were referred to as holy. But why? what are they holy? Well, they've been set, up, set apart for God. And so even the instruments that are going to be in the temple, they are set apart. And in other words, you could be really even a, even a saint. And so you can look at Exodus 3, verse 5, talks about that stuff. So keep in mind when it comes to, and this isn't the only time, by the way, where you see angels referred to. Um, as saints as well. You can go to Job chapter 5 and Job 15 as well. So, Kevin. You think like that, uh, you know, it talks about the inner man, you know, is uh, our, uh, who we are as a saint. But, you know, even Paul, when he's writing, he tells them, don't even know anybody after the flesh. So, you think that when he's writing these letters, he's really not even writing to people in the flesh. He's trying to communicate with that saintly person, you know, the saint. 
daily. Right. Yeah. <laughs> say that again and say that a little louder. That's when we need to, uh... it's, it's, it, it is, and that's one of the things where I think that we see in Scripture all the time where Paul talks, us, talks about how we treat one another um, because that person that maybe we disagree with doctrinally or whatever and we want to you know, ridicule them, uh, we may disagree with them, and Scripture may even say that we mark and avoid them. But it never suggests that we should treat them anything less than a saint. And so we got to keep in mind that um, uh, even the people that we're dealing with, we need to, um, that are saints. Um, turn to Job chapter 5. we got time, so I'll go ahead and show you those verses. Job chapter 5, verse 1. And so, yeah, understanding the, um, and, and that's why it's so good to study study these words out because nobody could think for a moment, you know, that, that it was okay if, if somebody went and took some of the, the treasures in the temple that were set apart for God to take it and just cast it away and, and to, to the fire. Well, it's kind of the same thing when we, the body of Christ, whenever we, whenever we tear down another member of the body of Christ because they are a saint. And, and I tell you, it's, it's hard. Our flesh, like Kevin's talking about, our flesh wants us to wants to make it um, um, make it acceptable unto us, but it's not acceptable unto us. Um, look at Job chapter five, verse one. Call now, if there be any that will answer thee, and to which of the saints will thou turn? And so here we see, even in Job's day, this reference to saints. Um, again, just showing. Drop on down to verse 15. But he saveth the poor from the sword, from their mouth, and from the hand of the mighty. And so he he continues to go on on, um, I'm sorry, look at 15 for that. Job chapter 15. Is is there a similarity between the word saints as being set aside and holy as being set aside? Are they... Well, that, yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. That, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying earlier, is, is they are, which is why you would see that the instruments in the temple, they're called holy uh, or sacred and that type of thing. It's really the same as a saint as far as being set aside. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So yeah. New King James uses holy ones yeah. instead of saints. Uh, so yeah. in the other places, though, it use saints. So right. And so, again, keep in mind, uh, again, Whenever you, whenever you think of what a saint is in, in, the, in, the, in the tribulation period, God does have his that are set aside for his purpose. Matter of fact, he gives you a specific number of one group in particular, doesn't he? 144,000, right? There's 144,000 that are specifically set aside from the rest. And they've got the mark of God on them. Uh, and so, yeah, it's not surprising to see saints. Job 15, 15. Now that I gave you the right verse. Behold, he putteth no trust in his what? Saints. saints. Guess what? That saints there is also talking about angels. And so um, keep in mind, again, this idea of, of, of um, how saints is really used. So it does. It has to do with holy. It has to do with sacred. Which then ultimately, when you truly understand the word, what it really means. 
That's why whenever Paul talks about think on these things, the things that are lovely, the things that are pure, um, when you think about the fact that you are a saint, and not just don't just let the word roll off your tongue, but think of what it really means. Set aside for God's purpose, holy, holy unto him. I mean, to me, uh, understanding who you are in Christ is one of the, 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 the you know, the best things that, that a Christian can really do when it comes to how they can walk that walk, um, how they can fight off the, the darts of, of the evil one, is understanding who you are in Christ. Whenever you begin to, begin to doubt whether God is there or whether you begin to doubt whether or not um, you're saved, all of that kind of stuff, um, keep in mind you're a saint and what that really, really means. So go back to Romans. Any other comments or questions on that? Can I just comment on Sure. Well, we were at in Deuteronomy, that next verse, number three, to Jay. He loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. I just, anytime he mentions, you know, he, it just shows his affection for his people. Yes, I know. And it's, isn't it... Um, knowing the love of God. I mean, it's just, we love him because he first loved us. You know, he didn't, uh, even the nation of Israel, he, he says, I didn't choose you because you deserved it. I chose you because I loved you. And, and we also know through progressive revelation that because he loved the Gentiles and wanted to, to reconcile the Gentiles to himself, the whole plan with Israel had to be finished. And so, you know, in the beginning, from the very, very beginning, knowing that man would sin and to go through all of this is just a, a phenomenal thing. So back to Romans chapter 1, we looked at uh, this uh, word saint, but there's another aspect in this verse that's very much important, especially when it comes to doctrinally for today. Um, I was not born and raised uh, a Jew. I don't know if anybody here was. But if you were born what's called a Gentile, even though you have to understand today there is no Jew and Gentile. That does not exist today. Okay, um, But understanding when it relates to how God was dealing with mankind, um, let's read this verse. Romans 1, 7, it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, notice it's to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So he's talking to believers, okay? And then he says this phenomenal statement that we sometimes, again, take for granted. Um, It says grace to you, um, peace to you. So grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. Again, sometimes we come from a position of believers as assuming that we are in a before we're even believers, that we're in a state of peace with God, when in fact we're actually in a state of war with God. We are enemies of God. We've made ourselves enemies of God, and it's only whenever we become believers that now we have peace with God, which is why Paul, in all of his introductions to all of his books, I believe it's every single one, maybe minus one, he says this very same thing. Go to the introduction of every single book. And he doesn't say, you know, grace and peace like he's saying hello. He's literally declaring to the saints there, he's bringing a message of peace from God. 
and understanding what that situ- what's your situation before you were a believer, um, that is a huge situation because before Paul's message, before we have God setting the nation of Israel aside, in order for a Gentile to have peace with God, they had to become part of Israel. And now he says to all that be in Rome, grace and peace from God, which is, again, a phenomenal thing to, to understand. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And it, go ahead. Isn't it interesting to, he does say it in all of his epistles, except if you believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. Right. That's the only one which would make sense. Sure. Yeah. And, And so, but yeah, I would tell you, go look at, go look at the beginning of each of the, each of the Paul's epistles. Every time he says that, do you, do you think that's a coincidence? That he says it each and every time, the one thing he's declaring over and over and over again is that peace from God. Now, and you get this statement from God. He's coming to speak on God's behalf and say, peace from me, Kevin. Yeah, Right. That's exactly right. You know, this it's is, from God. Yep. Yeah, he's he's told to go s- spread this message, which is why why are we spending much time on it? Some might be saying, Pastor, we get it. We've read all these. Well, keep in mind, Romans is the first book that Paul wrote. Well, the, I shouldn't say the first book he wrote. It's the first book in, in canonical order here. And so this is the first book. If you're reading your Bible, if you're doing a one-year Bible, and, and you, you get to Romans, it's the very first book in which we see this declared message from God of peace to all who will believe. It's the first one. And so look at Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Paul reminds the Ephesians, therefore reminding us what our standing was with God before, before this message came out. He says, wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was the status before the Pauline message came. For a Gentile. You didn't have, there was no covenant. God didn't make a covenant that he was going to save the Gentiles. He made a covenant to Israel that he was going to make them a light to the Gentiles. But as far as you being able to go to heaven and say, ah, uh, uh, look here, in Jeremiah 23, God, you promised. Guess what? You didn't have that. Israel did, but you didn't. And so this is what Paul's saying is, is remember the situation that you had. You had no covenants. You had no promises. You had no hope. That's about as desperate as you can get. You had no God, is what it says. Then it says, but now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh, brought in close by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he is our peace. 
who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And so Christ is that peace, which is why Paul can say to the saints, if you're a saint, you have peace. Again, I tell you that there are many Christians out there because they don't understand the scriptures uh, and they they want to apply the things of the gospels to themselves. They want to apply the book of Revelation to themselves and they are troubled in spirit because they don't think that they have peace with God. But God is reminding over and over and over to the saints, you have peace with me. Peace is, there is no more war between us and God. There's no more battles to take place. And so here we have this peace situation. Go back to Romans and look at chapter 5. Pastor? It, yes. It reminds me of, I think, a message. Uh, I can't remember exactly when, but you made uh, the statement or the topic was, without God, there is no peace. So that's on an individual basis. That's right. That's uh, on a country-by-country country basis. That's right. Um, yeah. And as we get further away from God, uh, you know, any hope of peace is, is misplaced and misguided. That's right. You know, without God, there is no peace. And if you're not today, if you're not in Christ, then you're not with God. As a matter of fact, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 10. Well, let's start at verse 8. Says, but God committed this love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. In other words, paraphrase, if God loved you enough that when, you know, as he's getting ready to say here in a minute, that you were enemies, that he was willing to die for you, now that you're justified with him. How much more are you saved from his wrath to come? Then he goes on to say, verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so it's from verses like this, we know that we don't have to endure God's wrath during the tribulation. It's verses like this we understand because we know that the tribulation is God making war on those who have rejected him. Gentiles um, and Jews alike, those once were raptured out of here, it is, it is the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the day of the Lord. It's that seven years that was, which was established um, according to, to the book of Daniel that had to, had to take place as an accounting of sins. Has your sins been already been accounted for? Let me give you a hint. Yes. Do you think you have a need to go through the tribulation? No. Jesus already suffered once and took, the, took your wrath one time um, so that you were sinless. He doesn't need to have, have his body of Christ going through it again. Understanding the peace that you have with God is going to affect and have so many domino effects um, as it relates to, to, uh, to doctrine. So understand that you have that peace, um, peace with God. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this goes back to what Kevin was talking about. Um, that when, when Paul was bringing his message, 
He came with a message that was given to him by God. You know, I can go out and preach, and I can either share my opinion, or I can use God's word. And when I'm not using God's word, then I'm giving my opinion. When Paul was going, he wasn't giving his opinion. He was giving God's word. And in in the book of Thessalonians, Paul commends the Thessalonians because they received his word as God's word. Not as his own, but as God's word. And he commends them because he says it was God's word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 12, um, basically he's telling the Thessalonians that he wants them to walk worthy of God who's called you into the kingdom of glory. And he says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing because. In other words, he's saying, you know, what he's getting ready to say, he's saying, because of this, we continually give thanks to God. And that is because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. And so keep in mind that whenever Paul comes and he and he speaks about this peace that is from God, that is a declaration from God himself of peace that we have. And that should give you peace. Um, and so keep that, keep that in mind. We have peace. There is no more, no more need for God's wrath to be, to be upon us, which means so many different things that affects. How many people do you think out there, maybe yourself included, I know that I've been there, that whenever you're, um, you know, maybe caught up in a sin or maybe you're, you know, in a place where you don't necessarily feel like you have a good relationship with God, you literally withdraw from God. Your prayer life suffers. You feel like you need to hide from God. Um, Almost as though that we feel like we can't approach God. Um, Keep in mind, you have peace with God and nothing's ever going to take that away. There's no time that we can, we can, that there's a place where we need to hide from God. Matter of fact, because of the peace we have with God, that's the time in which we need to approach him even more. Whenever we feel like we want to withdraw from God, we need to approach him more. And so, there, like I said, there's a lot of things that um, having peace with God affects. Um, and that ultimately is, is knowing that your relationship with him is perfect. So, back to Romans, chapter 1. Try and see if we can't finish off some more verses here. Romans 1, just reading verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So apparently um, the, this group in Rome, um, they've got a fantastic testimony um, to all the other churches, whether it's in Galatia or, or Ephesus or Corinth or Thessalonica. Uh, this group in Rome has already has a fantastic testimony. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Sometimes I, th- I think we we forget uh, the example of Paul, of, of we, 
sometimes I think we, we all fall into the habit of, of only praying to God for those we think who need his touch instead of also praying and giving thanks for those um, others who, who maybe, are, you know, are just great examples of, of, of Christian living. And so giving thanks is, is an important thing. Verse 10, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a properest journey by the will of God to come unto you. Um, as he's getting ready to mention, um, Paul is, is, has been hindered. We'll talk about that in a second. Verse 11, for I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but I was basically hindered, is what it's talking about here, that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. And again, from this verse, we can see that um, there are there are things that were going on at work um, that, you know, were a problem. There were times in which um, Paul talks about the idea that God um, refused for him to go into certain areas. But then we can also see that, that Satan is, has been a, uh, a thorn in his flesh, has put speed bumps in his way, has caused distractions and caused different things to occur. And so, again, when we talked uh, a few weeks ago um, in the sermon messages, there's a spiritual battle that's going forth. Um, we don't know specifically why God uh, at times hindered Paul going into places. There are times where he hindered him from going, and then later God tells him to go. We don't know what was going on. So, uh, matter of fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Twice it takes place here, Acts chapter 16. Oh, in verse 1, it says he went to Derby and Lystra. Um, and then he uh, continues on in, in verse, so let's pick up in verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the regions of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they assailed, assayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And so we can see that um, as Paul is going out from place to place, you know, sometimes he's wanting to go to a place and the Holy Spirit said, nope, you know, you're going to go over here. You know, I don't want you going over there. Um, and, and so, again, I think sometimes we, uh, we need to be careful whenever we think that our feelings are our guide. Um, there are a lot of people that think that, well, I just don't feel led. Well, um, keep in mind, our feelings aren't necessarily our guide in life. Um, what God was doing back here with the Apostle Paul was, was a much different, different situation. Um, look at 1 Thessalonians with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we were just at a few minutes ago. But we're going to look at uh, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. And so we've seen in, 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 in the scriptures where both God in, in Acts 
tells Paul not to go to places and Satan has hindered him. And, and Rome is one of those places in which Satan had hindered Paul from going to Rome and he couldn't get there for, for a long time. And that's why he's praying that, that things are going to go well, that he can get there after all and so he can finally meet those. Because remember, as we talked about before, he did not start the church there, meaning him go and plant it. It was people from his ministry that he that he knows and he, he salutes them at the end of the book of Romans. And, and he knows a lot of them quite well. It was those who learned under him who went up to Rome and started that church. So turn back to Romans. I'd like to get to verse 16. <clears throat> Romans 1. You know, Paul, back in the verse you were just talking about in mm-hmm. Thessalonians, Paul was blaming him his issue of not being able to go to the room is on Satan there. Right. And just as other places, he said God didn't want him to go places. So both those things are interfering with what Paul wanted to do. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to make sure I got that right. Yep. Both those things were um, were interfering with Paul. Back to Romans 1. Um, so Paul in verse 7 says, I don't want you to be ignorant that I, I've, I've longed, I've purposed to come to you. In other words, don't think that I you know, don't care about you. Verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I would say pay attention to your scriptures because in the scriptures you'll see reference to Greeks and you'll see reference to Grecians sometimes. They're not the same groups. Greeks are going to be Gentiles, okay? And Grecians are typically Jews who live outside of Rome, outside of Israel, and they are Greek-speaking Jews. And so uh, keep that in mind. This here is going to be talking about Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the, the Greeks, who are Gentiles, and to the barbarians. They're, both all, they're also Gentiles. Barbarians were those who were Gentiles uh, who, were, who were basically raised outside of a Hellenistic Roman influence. So if you came from another part of the world and you were a Gentile, that was generally what a barbarian was. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, take that as talking about? Well, I, I mean, it could be talking about the idea of imparting on literally gifts. Prophecy. The gift of prophecy. Okay. Timothy talks, and uh, Paul talks about it in Second Timothy, I believe it is, uh, the, the idea of that. And so he could be talking about that. Um, and so, if I remember right uh, from studying the Greek on this, this is, is let me look at my notes here, I believe it is the same word for, um, uh, da, 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 lost it here, 11, we were just right, yeah. Charisma, I believe, is the, is the word that's used up there as it relates to gift, and so uh, where we get the idea of charismatic from, and so... You know, we can't be certain if he's talking about like a laying on of hands of, of kind, of, kind of gift or if he's talking more of a general, in other words, my knowledge that I can impart unto you. So we don't, we're not certain. So, That's how so, I see it. Yeah, I, so I think it could be either. Doesn't it also, though, mean that, I mean, the, the word of God was not complete at this time. Mm-hmm. They were going to be in the presence of Jews as, as well as Gentiles. So the Jews always required a sign. Mm-hmm. So the spiritual gifts, uh, that's 
me, I take it as so I can so they can reach even more people than than just Gentiles alone because uh, the Jews required a, a sign and spiritual gifts uh, always were a sign. Yeah, and that's why we can't discount that this is talking about an actual uh, gift of prophecy, a gift of uh, one of those things that have been done away with is because at that time those spiritual gifts were still in place. That doesn't that doesn't transition out for a while. Later at the end, total end of Paul's ministry, those things have already done away with. And so it could be a, a literal um, imparting of a, of a gift of the Holy Spirit, knowledge, prophecy, that type of thing. Or it could be more of a, a, a gift as I'm going to bring, you know, like he talks about here in, in chapter one of the beginning, where he wants to bring them an understanding. So it could be either one, but Tim is exactly right. Even being the second one, Jews required a sign. And so um, that's, that's how God was, was telling the Jew that the message going to the Gentiles is something that they better pay attention to and sure. cling to yeah, than you. you. said I didn't come in word only, but power Indeed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, so, so when he goes ahead in 12 and says that I may be an encouragement together with you, He's not talking about the gifts per se as much as giving signs to them that they can feel definitely that he's from God. I mean, I don't get it. I'm not saying it's either way. I said that it could be either way. We don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying specifically is is we can't say what it is. And so we know that there were actual gifts still going on at this time. But could he be talking about more of the, the gift that comes from the body of Christ, fellowshipping together, being together, them learning from Paul, which they have yet to do, because one, they haven't gotten this letter yet, and he hasn't been there yet. He's the one that gets the revelations from God. And so uh, it could be either one. And so, so specific where God's specific and vague where he's vague, right? That's exactly right. Whichever it is, I don't know. And so, um, again, you, you'll read some commentators and they'll tell you exactly what it is. I try to, to refrain from doing that because I see it could be, could be either one. Kevin. I know in my walk, the, the greatest gift that I want is to receive from the Lord is a revelation knowledge of His Word. You know, oh, yeah. Like you say, they didn't even have that Word, maybe a few letters there. Right. Yeah, they didn't have His Word. and. Um, Which is why I think that you had the gift um, at that time. You didn't have the completed word of God. And so you did have those who had the gift of prophecy. And so revelation would be given to the Apostle Paul. But yet you would have prophets in other places in which God would um, uh, prophesy through these people, give prophecy, give an understanding about things because they didn't have this, um, which is which is why we, we should understand how important that is. Val. Prison of differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy, let it be prophecy, 
<laughs> ministry is a gift, exhortation, giving, all of that. So, I mean, it could be talking about any or all of those gifts um, back in Romans 1. But, so it's not, I kind of feel like it, he talks about prophecy and things, but he also talks about administration and giving and stuff like that. So it could be all encompassing. There, I'm sure there were gifts of the Holy Spirit that were people were endowed with, empowered with, that we, we don't even have an understanding of. And so, yes, the gifts were, were certainly the ones that have been transitioned away. Uh, those, those, those are gone now, but they were in place at the time of this writing. So keep that in mind. Okay, very good.